Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. That, that stuff is fun and important that we got to talk about, but part of me was itching to get to this question. What style sure. of play do you like to teach because uh, of the alignment that you and I have, but uh, always looking to find better language, uh, uh, more precise ways of teaching that can help connect with players. So have at it, Coach. What, what's your favorite style? Yeah, yeah. So whenever I hear any basketball question that's general about style of play, I hear that as like offense. That's just like my, oh, yeah. my natural yeah. bent. And so <laughs> that there is primarily what, what I'll share about. But um, I know, don't know. I don't know how many. Uh, this is funny. I don't know how many coaches I'm going to search out like I searched you out that are that are defensive gurus sure. <laughs> and I may have just I don't know how many people listen to this I might have just lost like half of them right there but no that you're right like style of play offensively go ahead man yeah and and, and so the the way that we like to play here is is, is very much free um, again talking about like what is a way that that how can we make sure that the players are having a great experience and so um, you know for us it's going to be very up-tempo floor is spaced, um, balls moving around quickly. We're making one second decisions. That's, that's a term we talk about a ton in our program. Um, and we just want to make the game easy. You, you know, I think here for us and our skill development, you know, we're kind of going through each spring and refining what we teach, how we teach it, what we emphasize. And, and the one thing that's missing that maybe some people do is like, we don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one really anything. You know, mm -hmm. we don't teach any finishes where I'm getting by my primary defender. Or I'm sorry, where, where, where like help comes and I euro step around them. For us, if help comes, the ball goes. Um, you know, if I can't make an attack off the catch, I move it. There's not a lot of one-on-one -on -one play within that. Um, and I love, we, we love here team basketball where it's five people operating as one, the ball flying around, you know, possessions where I give it up and then eventually I get it back to score. Um, that, that, that's so fun to watch, so fun to teach. And, and I, I think again, really fun to play and, that's kind of what we're all about here on the offensive end. All right. So I, I do know dribble drive motion is something that that you that you show and teach. You have some great videos, and we'll talk a little bit more about your platform at the end. You know, what are just I've heard that dribble drive motion. A, a, a coach down here at North Crowley, Tommy Brackle, is in, in Texas. The DFW is kind of one of the old school dribble drive motion guys. Mm -hmm. And we were having a talk, and he said it now it's become really even more the offense behind whatever offense that we yeah. run, meaning those concepts can bleed over. So what are some of your main dribble drive motion concepts that you like to teach? Yeah, so you, like, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what we re refer to it here as like the offense behind our offense. Um, so essentially for us, like we're going to be in dribble drive after action is over. Um, or if we have an advantage in transition and we don't get anything out of that initially, it's just how we keep playing. Um, so really, there's just a few principles that, that that have to be in play. And this is actually why we play this way. Um, zooming out, like beyond like the specific offense, we want to play in such a way where players have the freedom to attack and score on every single catch. Mm -hmm. um, and so when the ball hits my hands, the very first thing I'm looking to do is shoot it. So catch to shoot, want to get our eyes on the rim, not saying I have to, but when my chest is facing the basket, when my eyes find the rim, I can now make any play that I want to make on the floor. Um, and then obviously, right yeah, there, coach, right there, coach, doesn't that just transform your skill work in the, in mm -hmm. the buy-in of your players? The fact that they all believe 
that or they've been told that if you do have space on the catch and you're prepared and you're you're ready that it's a, i mean to me the buy-in across the board why should i get shots up because i'm actually going to be allowed to shoot it that's a shift from many programs so sorry keep going yeah no 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 perfectly um and then the second element is if I can't shoot because I have a hard closeout, I want to react to attack. Um, and so that's how we play off the catch. And it's really important to us that whatever our flow game might be, and again, here it's dribble drive, we have to be able to do that on every single catch. Um, you know, I, I think if if there's an offense where maybe there's two post players on the block and I throw it and now my catch, I've got to like get low and rip through and look at that post player. I, I, I have access to none of that. Um, and so as we're looking for an offense to use, it has to be one that always has space and freedom to play off the catch first and foremost. Um, the second element or the third element to how we want to play is um, after we've reacted to attack, it's drive the score or pass to where the help came from. Um, and so again, there, the floor has to be balanced and aligned to make those decisions possible. Um, and then basically what's going to end up happening if I pass the ball to where the help came from is we're right back to square one, catch the shoot, react to attack. And so dribble drive naturally allows us to play out of those principles um, by just following a really simple and easy pattern. Yeah. That's the other thing I, that I like about it is like you can play freely and the mentality can be scoring focused because it's not intricate in regard to like where you go or how you move. Now, a knock to that could be it's easy to scout. And I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Um, Still got to guard it. The hundred percent, right? Like, like <laughs> Randy Sherman, Radius Athletics, he says, like, you know, be easy to scout and hard to beat. Oh, um, and, and, that. and that's exactly what, like, when, when it comes to the dribble drive, um, yeah, like you, maybe you can pick up on it, but like exactly what you said, can you guard it? And, you know, we believe that there's nothing harder to guard than a good player in space. Yeah. And we're just creating a lot of those scenarios as often as we possibly can. I think all of us coaches, we need to really write out what we believe and what we teach and start to eliminate things and see if there's ways that that stickier language that we can use. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I get to talk and I hear some new things, it's, it's, it gets me kind of excited. Uh, awesome. when in, in transition, are you running to spots? Uh, do you have a secondary break? Are you rim running? Like kind of, cause there's some different ideas and philosophies there. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So if you want to play fast, I think you need to have the ability to do a lot of things that are easy. Um, and so essentially for us, what we've always done is our break has been different after a stop or after we get scored on. And so essentially there, let's, the hardest part of teaching transitions, you never know where people are going to be when it's getting started. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on who the other team is, what they run, your five could be at the rim. They could be out guarding on the perimeter. Who knows where they're going to be. That's a good point. So I think a key skill, regardless of whether you're a, you know, primary break run to these spots or, or, um, number break rather or whether you're kind of letting the free-for-all go the ability to generate space out of chaos is a really important uh, element at least at the start for us what we end up doing is basically after a missed shot our players have more general roles and freedom to go with whatever spot on the floor is natural so for our girls that would be like our runners we call them who are you know first ones down the floor after a made bucket, certain people are going to certain spots. After a missed bucket, where's the closest sideline? I'm running to that corner. And if we're both on the same side, no big deal whatsoever. Same thing for our five man. Um, you know, if she's ahead of the ball and the outlet's behind her, run to the rim. You know, you, you can get ahead of it, no problem. If she's the one who grabs the rebound and gets a deep outlet to our point guard, now she's going to trail at the top of the key and we've got some automatics that, 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 that we can run that way. So that would be kind of how we approach a missed shot. Um, where there's a little more flexibility, but still similar spacing and alignments. 
and we're doing that so we can get down the floor as fast as possible. After a made bucket, we're going to have a certain person take the ball out. The ball be outlet to a certain person, specific girls going to two specific spots um, so that if we don't have an immediate advantage as we push the ball, we've got quick action. That's like an automatic. Um, and then we're flowing into dribble drive from there. And so I think, you know, with, with transition offense, obviously the ability to have that chaos defensively and then get organized space immediately is really important. But then also the ability to keep playing when you come down the floor regardless of what that alignment would be and not have to pull the ball out yeah, no pause. around. Yep. I, I think it's that's where transition is at its best. And, and teams that we've had that have been really successful, they have excelled in scoring, you know, with like one pass fly at the floor. But where the best teams have been is, are those ones who can just flow and never stop. And you're running transition offense for 26 seconds, basically. Love that. P- is positionless basketball more difficult in college where you feel like you need to have more of the traditional number set, but then also players that fit those those molds. Because in high school, I mean, we we're positionless, and 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 it's been fun. I'm obviously a small private school, not a, and we don't recruit, so not a lot of choices. It's whoever sure. shows up at at my school. But it's been fun for us to be able to kind of all train. Even though uh, I had somebody use a a, a coach use the example of a buffet. You know, they can all go to the same buffet, but they're not all allowed to to, to eat the same thing or eat the same amount of food or sure. something like that. What are, what are your thoughts? Is it difficult in college to do that? Yeah, it just depends on how good you are, quite honestly. And I think even what league you might be in, um, you know, for us, we're a mid-major. We're in the Horizon League. Um, you know, the goal every year is what? win the tournament and go to the NCAA tournament. And so a lot of your decisions on how we're going to play is designed of how are we going to win our league? Yeah. And so there you have to be weighing, um, okay, the best teams in our league, what do they look like? Can we, um, you know, do we have to mirror and model them to beat them? Or, you know, if they're going to, you know, zig, do we need to zag? Yeah. And so that's always a hard balance to take and strike. Um, you know, for us, basically, we are positionless at the two, three, and four the one and the five are a little bit different. Um, and again, multiple people can play all those different spots, but with just what we ask them to do from like a creating an advantage standpoint, it's important for us to have two people in those roles that we think are pretty smart and unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is so much value. And again, the best things we've had, we've had point guards that can go play the two, three or four or a three who can move to the one whenever we sub and just having that flexibility means so much. Um, there also is a level to which we're, I think, always trying to, you know, a benefit to being positionless, I think, is it, you're, you're going to work on skills more in practice. You know, yeah. whenever you are position heavy, I feel like there's just a million things you can work on with the guards and a very small menu of what you can do with the post players. And so, like, whoever's working with the post, they don't want to do skill development because they're just tired of it. The post players are tired of it. The guards can't get enough of it, right? And so the more positionless you get, I think, you know, now everyone's doing a little bit of everything. And that's that's what we do. Even though there's different roles in a game, everyone does everything. Yeah. And that allows us then, as our players do grow, to become a little more versatile. And so maybe now for our five, who's in a lot of pick and roll, those are turning into pick and pops. Or when we do trail uh, the play and we throw it to them at the top of the key, they're no longer thinking like swing it or reverse it with a dribble handoff. They're thinking, can I shoot this? Can I attack this closeout? And as they go to new levels, our offense goes to new levels. And so I think there is an element to which you need to be trying to develop your team to be as positionless as possible while still having a structure um, that can protect players if they're not quite there yet. And I think we've been able to find a pretty good balance of both here in our program. 
you said something a little bit ago that I think is a common misconception to teams that uh, play with freedom and play with pace is that there's no structure or it's not organized. You're just rolling the ball out. Sure, there, I think there, there's some of those programs that maybe they just have so much talent that there is a little bit more of that, just mm-hmm. allowing them just to find their own way. But I would I would argue, and maybe you agree, that uh, to play the way you're talking about, everybody has to be – it's heavily organized. Mm-hmm. You've got to be on the same page or else – if there's no double or triple gaps and you're not organized, you're going to have single gaps with people really being stuck or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think structure is super important. Um, not just so that you can make sure you can keep playing, but also so you can play fast. And I, I think that's the biggest thing for us is if we're going to play with one second decisions off the catch, we need to have a structure that's organized and allows us. You to can't have that. people in the way. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And, and the other piece with that is like we always want our girls thinking score on the catch. And so what we, if you give them six different options when they catch the ball, where does scoring rank, right? And so by simplifying and by having a set structure that is very easy, they, they always know what's next. They know what the reads are if they can't score, um, but allows them to have that freedom to play that way first and foremost. And so I think anybody that's ever played in our program would tell you that uh, it's very structured and maybe even somewhat too structured. Um, at times for certain players. But again, I think there's always a little bit of tension early on where like we're, we're pretty picky about our fundamentals, about our skills, about how we play, about, you know, doing this the exact right way. And then as they uh, get a little more comfortable, we really start to, you know, peel back and allow for a little more freedom of if you see that play, go make that play. Um, so I think there's always a balance there. And again, I think as a coach, that's one of the areas I need to grow in is like, I don't feel like I coach, I, I do not coach cutting very well. Um, you know, I, my, my answer is always just get away from each other, stay space, <laughs> like give, give that ball room. Um, but I think some players are really instinctual and that's, that's a great skill of theirs. And so I just think there's, there's a really fine line. You're talking about the random cuts off the ball towards the mm-hmm. basket. I Absolutely. can't, I, I always tell them like, guys, you can't go Rover. And if they, they, my guys at my school haven't seen semi pro where Will Farrell just runs in a circle and, and he yep. says, I'm going Rover coach. Uh, yeah, you, you just can't go Rover, but you're right. Uh, how do we set up an environment where like players have to do what they see? Mm-hmm. And when they see something and, and maybe it's the right choice, ha- them having the freedom to do that is important. Yeah. And I, I think the other balance I, th- I think that we try to strike with our players is um, what they see matters, but also what the ball can see matters. And and that's, that's, that's where with cutting, like, yeah, you have a backdoor cut available, but if the ball is not seeing you, if the player with the ball has no vision on that, your cut that maybe could create an advantage, we're not able to utilize because the player with the ball is not on the same page. And so that's just an area where, you know, a lot of our skill work, a lot of our breakdowns, we're playing two on two, we're playing three on three, we're setting the drill up to start in a certain way that we're going to get to work on those skills and those reads that we are trying to make um, so that the players can learn how to play with the player beside them to read, to be free, but also to be staying within the structure of what we do so that the other three or four players off the ball, they can keep playing as well. Yeah. You mentioned, you, you mentioned this a few times, scoring off the catch, scoring off the catch. Uh, when do you teach or do you teach a split catch with your feet already ready to rip and go? Or are you always 10 toes or whatever, but f- prepared to shoot, but then having the ability to rip? Or do you teach the split? What are your, what are your thoughts there? 
Yeah, so that there's a really good example of like one thing that we're pretty structured with at first. And then as we get better at it, we kind of take our hands off of it. And so the way that we're going to teach all of our skill work at the start off the catch is going to be a three-part process where we catch, we peak, and then we attack. Um, now, no doubt there's times where that's the wrong way to go about it. We, we fully understand that. But I think probably, you know, whatever percentage, the majority of the closeouts that we get in the game, we're going to be needing to attack that way. Um, and so we start there all the time. And then as soon as we have our footwork down, our catch is right, the way that we're looking for those skills to look like, then we talk about quick reads where you're reading before the catch what you're going to get into. And that's where that, you know, go and catch um, mentality almost starts to show up. And so that was a big part of what we did this spring. We had a few returners from our team and all year long, we never even touched it. Um, but then this spring with those guys who have been in the program for a little bit, we worked a lot on reading before the catch against a longer closeout or a sideways closeout um, and just finding that balance between where like the, the defender will tell you what to do. And yeah. the earlier you can get that information, the better off you're going to be. Uh, the the reading before the catch, one, it's difficult. I mean, I don't know at what level of play or maybe even at high school players you can, you can drill that or a few guys will have it. But I'm always worried about predetermined movements. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what they're doing, this is what I'm doing. And I've Correct. seen that happen with the split catch a little bit more where the read was to shoot, but you had it in your mind to already get low and push. Right. Uh, how, how do you guide players through that where – we're trying to read the catch, but also you've got to be in the moment and make sure you have the ability to maybe do multiple things. Yeah. So a few things there, I think, again, number one, this is always a dichotomy where you want players to play fast off the catch, but sometimes playing too fast off the catch doesn't let your <laughs> spacing develop enough. So the yeah. ball has nowhere to go or any room to breathe. And so, you know, one of the questions I get a ton um, from dribble drive coaches is like, what do you do when teams switch? You know, I pass to you, I cut in front of you you're driving off of my backside, you know, a lot of teams will just switch that. Well, my, but the answer I want to give, and it's difficult, is like there should be no ability to switch because number one, I should be flying through as fast as I possibly can. But number two, if you're catching and you're looking to shoot first, that brief pause that you're going to take is letting my cut clear. Mm. And it's also letting you get guarded. So now those two bodies aren't passing. Um, so again, there, there's a general rhythm to playing fast that I think players need to find. And, and the way that we're going to teach attacking off the catch starts there. What we then begin to work on is those longer closeouts you have to attack where there's already an, an, an advantage present. Those are much easier reads to make because you have so much time to read that recovering yeah. defender. Um, so a really easy one would be, you know, like a baseline drift pass, right? Like the opposite corner, their defender's in low eye. That's a mile-long closeout. You're normally going to be making your decision versus somebody else recovering and rotating down, and that might be a catch and swing. It might be a catch and shoot. It might be a catch and go. Um, but because of the length of the closeout, that decision's a lot easier. Um, and so that's another thing we're always just talking about is short closeouts versus long closeouts. And as much as we can versus short closeouts, we want to catch the shoot and play with the pace we normally do versus longer closeouts or disadvantaged closeouts. That's where we're going to be making those decisions and those reads before the catch. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.